to the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. It's been a little while since our last episode, but we're back to look over the Libertadores and Sudamericana rounds of 16. Lots to cover, from heartbreak for the big two in Buenos Aires, Palmeiras and Flamengo going goal crazy, and the contrasting fortunes of Hulk and Pikachu. I'm your host, Tom Robinson, and joining me today is Simon Edwards in Colombia. How are you, mate? Yeah, all good. All good here in Colombia. Yeah, football's league football's back here, and the sun's been shining. Been playing lots of football, so yeah, everything is good. Well, yeah, don't stay out that sunshine, Simon. We don't want your your fragile pale skin getting too burnt. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Mike um, in Peru, how's everything over there? Yes, all good, mate. Thank you. Yeah, the uh, the winter seems to be coming to an end. So, um, yeah, nice big bright blue skies, and uh, yeah, good uh, some. Uh, the end of the apertura as well. So, um, yeah, been been good. Excellent. So let's crack on and get into the Libertadores, which is obviously now in the knockout stages. We've just had the round of 16 and it's all shaping up for the quarterfinals. Um, on the face of it, two nil-nil draws might not sound like the most exhilarating place to start, but what Boca versus Corinthians lacked in aesthetically pleasing football, it certainly made up for it in drama. And ultimately, it was all about the penalties. In the first leg in Sao Paulo, it finished goalless with a missed penalty from uh, Roger Guez. Very good save from Agustin Rossi, it must be said. Um, so it was on a knife edge going into the second leg. And again, it was all about the penalties. This time, Dario Benedetto hitting the post um, and the game going two penalties after a nil-nil draw in Agra, almost fitting that it was going to be penalties that decided this one. And it was Corinthians who came out on top, 6-5 winners in the penalties. And crucially, it was Benedetto again, who stole the headlines for all the wrong reasons, blazing his penalty ridiculously far over. Cue all the jokes about, has it landed yet? Seeing it in outer space and the rest of it. Um, But yeah, a real day to forget for Benedetto. Um, Simon, I'll come to you first. How did you uh, how did you see this game? Yeah, so it was it was a weird one. Obviously, two giant clubs with Boca and Corinthians, and you know, on the day, you know, Boca really did push for that goal. Twenty shots on goal. They were throwing a lot uh, at Corinthians. Corinthians fairly pinned back. You know, Boca dominating possession, sixty seven percent possession, uh, only three shots on target, which I think is probably the the, the telling point in terms of this game going to. Going to penalties, uh, you know, I, I think Boca pushed, uh, particularly Villa and Fabra. I would pick out the Colombians, but I think on that <laughs> flank, the the two the two kind of more more pacey direct options that that Boca have, I think, were, were important. And yeah, an absolute nightmare for Benedetto. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, Boca will be devastated by this one. Um, Corinthians had one shot on goal for the entire game. Um, Boca dominated possession, but they just couldn't get the ball in the back of the net. There were a lot of like loose swings at the ball. Some, you know, Benedetto had a, had a header as well. I think that went wide. Obviously, the penalty miss. Um, you know, you can look at the positive side and say Boca, to to some extent, did their job, but couldn't get the ball in the back of the net. But then you can look at it and say this is a massive missed opportunity. How did how did you see this one, Tom? What were your thoughts on Boca on the night? Yeah, I mean, I thought bo- both games were pretty awful watches if I'm honest and I wasn't expecting too much from it really after the group stage games you know it, one of the frustrating things I think when we saw the draw was like oh, okay 
yes, these are two massive clubs in South American football, but we've already seen them play twice against each other in group stages. Neither of those games were classics either. So I think it was always going to be a tight affair, more focus on on not losing. And yeah, it just was, you know, the goalkeepers were probably the most inf- uh, impressive figures across the two legs. Um, Cassio making some good saves, obviously saving a couple of penalties there as well. Um, and obviously that, that helping hand from Benedetto, who, um, I mean, I thought it was a bit of a soft penalty that he was, he was given earlier in the game anyway, but, and it must've just been weighing on his mind because he really blasted it nowhere near the goal at all. And and that was not only was it the fact that he'd missed two penalties in that game, but also at that point, Boca had the advantage. If, if they'd scored that penalty, they would have been four, two up and, and they would have got through. So on one hand, you, you kind of think, okay, these are fine margins, but across the two games, I don't think they quite showed enough you know, against a you know a resolute Corinthian side, but not necessarily one that that I think is going to go too far in this competition. Um, positive as well. Rossi was was very good. Obviously, saving that penalty in the first leg, saving a couple of penalties, looking like he'd done enough. Almost getting a hand to that last Corinthians penalty as well. But um, yeah, Boca obviously so much of their identity is is surrounded in the Libertadores, and and as a result. Bataglia has left and it's now sort of a big question mark of of what's next for Boca. So um, even though they won the Copa de la Liga pretty recently, I think we all saw that as just a, a bit of a papering over the cracks and that the Libertadores was going to be the defining element to their season, their year. And um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where they go next. Mike, how far do you think Corinthians can can go in this in this tournament? Do you do you think that this is about us? You know, the the quarterfinals is about their level, or, or do you think it's there's enough in this team that can can get a bit further? I think the issue they've they've got is is it um, they're up against Flamengo next. Um, so, be I mean the amount of chances like we said that um, Boca created and just didn't didn't uh, convert, uh, missing targets, uh, um, Benedetto having probably the sort of the most uh, forgetful game of his career as well as the, the game he'll most want to forget of his career, it seems. Um, I think that'll be, that'll be the issue when they come up against Flamengo in the next rounds. The strikers and the, the four players they've got will, will take some of these chances and will be a little bit more composed. So I think that will... Be the be the issue for Corinthians. They'll be again probably looking at holding off and looking for these sort of counter attack breaks where they can. But um, I, it'd be very difficult to uh, bet against uh, Flamengo. Yeah, that's that's very true. But obviously, they do have the, the ace up their sleeve of having a Portuguese manager in charge. So we all know that is a uh, the key element of success in the Libertadores these days. And and yeah, as you said, Benedetto, bit of a lightning rod for. A lot of Schadenfreude coming from the other side of Buenos Aires before this game. You know, a lot of people like like they've done in the past when he's um, you know made himself quite a visible figure, celebrating um, against River when the two went ahead, and and as a result, when things don't go his way, definitely cops a lot of flack. But it didn't go too much better for Boca's eternal rivals, River Plate, who went out one nil on aggregate to Velez. Um, first leg in Liniers saw Velez get that crucial goal thanks to a penalty from Lucas Janssen. 
really clumsy challenge from Maidana to give away that penalty. And to be honest, in that first leg, Vélez could have won by a bit more. You know, uh, Armani made some huge saves from Osorio. Brato missed a, a pretty big chance there as well, but it went into that second leg in the Monumental, all to play for still, um, and ended nil-nil, allowing Vélez to go through. And pretty much the the, the, the big talking point from this game was the, the, the disallowed Matias Suarez goal ruled out for handball after a bit of VAR consultation. I'll come back to you, Mike. What, what was your thoughts on, on that? Should it have been a goal? Should Velez um, count themselves a bit fortunate? Uh, I think it was probably the right call. Um, he's they're bundling in towards the ball at the edge of the bot, um, sort of back post and his arms... <sighs> to a degree like a natural position but it does come off it does seem like it comes off that and it's just a bit a bit unfortunate for for river plate but um they they they're just not um they're just uh, having a bit of trouble weren't they in front of goal um at the moment they're keeping possession well and creating chances but it's just not not really going for them at the moment um i guess with the impending departures uh, amongst um, some of the players obviously Alvarez um, Perez um, things that just haven't been haven't been ticking like they were at the beginning of the season yeah and uh, as, as we record um, Julian Alvarez has officially sort of joined Manchester City so he's left uh, River Plate after a very successful period but not able to do enough to to get them through to, to the next round and and just misses out on Rafael Santos Borre's record as, as most goals under the Gajardo um, era. I think when it comes to that um, penalty or that goal that was ruled out, it's, it's so hard to definitively say, which I suppose, depending on your view, could mean that you think it should have still counted or whether it's there's enough doubt to, to sort of argue each way because different camera shots and different angles seem to show different options. I, I personally think River were a little bit unlucky there. However, it's quite a convenient convenient excuse or, you know, a, a, re, a scapegoat to, to pin all their failures on. Ultimately, River didn't have too many shots on goal. I think it was just three shots on target in 180 minutes and generally have been too wasteful. It looks like Lewis, the Luis Suarez pipe dream might be over given their Libertadores run um, is, has come to an end. Um, Simon, do you think, do you think Miguel, Miguel Borja might be the, the solution to their, their goal worries at the moment? Um, yeah. I mean, to some extent, look, Miguel Borja has his limitations, right? He, there's a reason he's in South America and has been since... 2014 and even when he went to Europe he didn't really do anything so look, it, it's not a shock that he's spent most of his career in South America but also I think it's not a surprise that he's played for the biggest clubs or, or you know at the very top table in South America throughout that time and has consistently scored you know he's done well for Colombia when Colombia couldn't find a goal he looks the most likely often um, you know the movement's sharp he's a good finisher he's got a physical presence to him He's a decent presser, you know, he puts himself about. So I think with this Riverside that has a team that seems to be very fluid, very creative, dominates possession, to have kind of an out-and-out goal scorer um, will be a slight shift, but I think perhaps a welcome one, particularly uh, looking at this game. Tom, my question for you is, 
you know River, uh, and obviously they've got a lot of good young talent coming through. Players have emerged. But if I look at this River squad, there's a lot of good players on the bench. Is this a result of them not playing at their, their, their top level? Is it a result that these, these, uh, the guys that have come in have done so well? Because there's Palavecino, Quintero, Ezequiel Barco, Mamana. Like these, are, these are big players. Uh, do you agree with the, the selection? Is it just an off day for this, for this particular game? Or would some of those guys on the bench perhaps have helped uh, create a more cutting edge for, this, for the side in this game? It's a tough one to say, really, because this isn't just a one-off. We've seen them struggle in front of goal. They've been wasteful. They create loads of chances, but they're they're definitely not uh, the sum of their parts at the moment. They've got, you know, famously, they had such a big window where they brought in loads of players, really strengthened, and you thought, okay, this is the year that River, after quite a a few years of a fairly meager transfer dealings are really going to go for it and really push for that Libertadores and to go out in this fashion just is massively underwhelming obviously there's talk now of okay maybe is it time to to move on from Gajot not that people necessarily want him out but just maybe it's come to an, an end of a cycle I still think there's enough there that they could rally and, and do well but yeah in terms of I think it, it's more the areas in which they've invested rather than the players that they've brought in. Because clearly, Barco, Palavicino, Pochettino, Mamana are good players. But when it comes to the defence, Mamana's often injured. Gonzalez Perez hasn't really worked. Um, players like, you know, the pa- Palavicino, Barco, Pochettino, all, all the guys I've just mentioned there, have, they haven't really lived up to the to the billing and. Maybe that's just because it's relatively new and they're still trying to find out the system that works best for them. But I think most of Bo- uh, most of River's gripes is that they've not really found someone as a sort of succession plan after Julian Alvarez goes because, okay, Matias Suarez is, is a good player. Romero had a terrible miss and he's catching a lot of... Um, strays at the moment from from River fans they've brought Beltran back from Colón on loan but other than that they are looking a little bit short up front and they're just making a lot of uncharacteristic errors in defence as well I think the midfield's pretty you know well sorted and obviously with Enzo Fernandez moving on to Benfica which could now happen this summer rather than at the end of the year then even with that there's players who can come in and, and, and make a name for themselves. There's young players coming through as well. But yeah, they're just in a bit of a... They've, they've not really gelled since all the players have come in. And yeah, definitely a, a really, really big disappointment for them. But let's give a bit of credit to Velez as well. Into the quarters, they'll back themselves of having a good chance of making the semis too. And, you know, if you looked at them at the start of the year, the way they were playing in the Copa de la Liga and some of their early Libertadores we wouldn't have seen this at all. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see what a very young side is capable of doing. Yes, they've brought in some reinforcements in Diego Godin and also uh, Walter Bo, uh, who's who's a very good signing, I think, for them. But um, yeah, really exciting that this team could get to the semis, which yeah would, have, would be an, an amazing achievement for them. Obviously, they've got to get past Tajeres, which we'll come on to later, and it'll be an interesting matchup between Medina and his old club. But um, yeah, we've I think we should give some credit to Velez for, for hold, holding firm and, and keeping them out. 
pretty much keeping them out for uh, for 180 minutes there. So, um, yeah, they're definitely going to be a team to watch. So with two of the Argentinian big hitters out, it does feel even more of an inevitability that we'll have a Brazilian champion. And, and Palmeiras continued their very impressive form with an 8-0 aggregate win over Cerro Porteño. First up, it was a 3-0 away win, um, brace from uh, Roni and a goal from Murillo. Really nice diving header to get things going for, for Palmeiras. And then with not that much of a change team, a little bit of a mixed 11 there for Palmeiras, they they eased home 5-0 um, with another brace from Roni, um, who's, again, pulled out an amazing bicycle kick. Um Maybe a, the late flurry of goals gave it a gloss. It pre- pre- the scoreline didn't perhaps deserve to, to to really put the nail into Cedo's coffin, but definitely Palmenas looking very strong. Uh, Sim, uh, well, sorry, Mike, I'll, I'll come to you to discuss Palmenas there. I mean, do you think this is maybe the best version of Palmenas that we've seen, and or are you still of the mindset that maybe we haven't seen Palmeiras properly challenged yet and we're only going to find out in the next round just how good they are yeah I think that's I think that's the the key thing isn't it like they've scored so many goals um in this tournament already but it does seem like um just a bit of bullying against some smaller teams in the um group stages um and yeah as the game ticks in with 20 minutes left and Cerro Porteño obviously uh, not gonna not gonna get sort of four or five goals back um, in that twenty minutes. Then I think they their their heads just drop and they're waiting for the final whistle and Palmeiras sort of capitalise and just have a bit of fun and yeah that that overhead kick from Ronnie at the end was perfectly placed in the corner and very uh, very good to watch. But the um, I think by that point the defending wasn't exactly um, as uh, committed as it was at the start of the game. Um, but yeah, they, I mean, they're showing they can, they are showing that how good they can be in attack. Um, they're not, uh, not obviously not just going to be a, um, sort of a defensive team looking to, um, edge out games in against the teams they've been playing. Um, so it'd be interesting to see, yeah, with the next, with the next round, how they, um, how they, how they approach it really. Um, obviously you've got a tie against uh, another Brazilian side, uh, another strong Brazilian side. So it would be, uh, they do, but they do seem like, despite the fact it's been against sort of um, weaker sides um, to a degree, they they do seem like they they've got to be one of the favourites um, going into them to uh, take the whole thing, really, don't they? Yeah, it definitely feels that way. That strength and depth is just out of this world for for this level and and just that gap between Brazil and the rest of the continent seems to be widening there and on that same subject uh, another one of the big Brazilian favourites Flamengo also ran up the goal tally with an 8-1 aggregate win over Deportes Tolima it was just a narrow 1-0 away win in Colombia um, in the first game thanks to a golazo from Andres Pereira who nice parting gift before he trades the Maracanã for Craven Cottage um, and, you know, they almost got an equaliser there and the, and the tie felt in the balance. But Flamengo just blew Tolima away, 7-1 in the second leg. Pedro hitting four goals. Um, Barbosa on, on the score sheet and even uh, talented youngster uh, Mateus uh, Franca um, 
chipping in with a goal in, in just his second Libertadores appearance. Uh, Simon, what, what went wrong for Tolima? <laughs> um, I think for Tolima, it's all been a bit much the last few weeks. Um, uh, you know, to go from that that big win away against Minero in the Libertadores group stage, and then to get through the group stage to get to the final of the Colombian League, and then to lose in like the most dramatic fashion possibly possible, um, plus have the likes of Ibarra out and have um, Anderson Plata missing. Uh, Cataño came back in. Now, his last contribution was to take a penalty, miss a penalty, and then get sent off for a foul on the goalkeeper two seconds <laughs> later. <laughs> um, so he wasn't a popular recall for the Tolima fans, as you can imagine. Um, so I just think um, this game was always going to be a challenge, going behind five minutes in, and then it was a complete collapse from, from Tolima. Um, it's a really good project they have. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think... The fact that Flamengo are so ridiculously good on their day, and this was very much their day, um, and Tolima being a bit exhausted, uh, a bit emotionally stretched, having a few injuries, um, you know, I, you know, this this Flamengo side was very very impressive. Pedro getting four goals. Um, the fact that they've got that interesting combination up front now with with kind of the focal point Pedro and then. Uh, Gabi Gol, Gabriel Barbosa, uh, kind of finding the gaps. I think it gives them a, a slightly different approach, you know. But I think um, on another day, now obviously Pedro got all the goals on this one, but on another day, that's going to give Gabriel Barbosa more space to, to find. If, if Pedro can occupy the defence, I think that's an interesting tactical tweak. Um, now, obviously, when things started so well in this game with that goal after five minutes, uh, Quinone's own goal after 20, um, 3-0 up. That was that was it for Tolima and, and Flamengo enjoyed it. But um, yeah, it's interesting because like Flamengo's form, from what I've heard, hasn't been immaculate, hasn't particularly great in the league, but it definitely clicked on this on this night. And the quality they have is incredible. So um, regardless of uh, the ups and downs of the league season, I think on the big nights in the Libertadores, Flamengo are, are a real force. Yeah, definitely looking that way, and yeah, I'd echo those sentiments about Gabriel Barbosa. He was, he was really good. Had a big part in in a few of Pedro's goals, and um, with him and their their Esquieta, you know, just in behind Pedro. Obviously, with all the other guys, they can call on as well. But you know, there's there's when it clicks, it can really click with with them. And as we mentioned before, now up against Corinthians in a, a big all Brazilian clash in the quarterfinals, probably the one of the most eye-catching games of the quarters. And, I mean, I think that's going to be a real test of the unstoppable force against the immovable object. So that's uh, that's going to be an interesting clash of styles, I think, in the next game. So perhaps one of the pre-tournament favourites who has yet to click into gear is Atletico Mineiro, who edged past the Ecuadorians Emelec 2-1 on aggregate. Again, this game was all about the big man up front, Hulk, and two penalties that in each uh, get one in each game that that really could have decided the uh, the tie and and ultimately did. First leg, just a one all draw in Ecuador. Ademir with an opener, um, but was pegged back by Sebastian Rodriguez. Allen saw red for stupidly lashing out, but Hulk had a chance for a late winner. 
for the 10-man Gallo, but missed the penalty. Quite a soft penalty, I thought, but a great save from Pedro Ortiz nonetheless. And in that second leg, who was it who got the winner? Obviously, that man Hulk, this time scoring his penalty to complete the redemptive arc and give Atletico Mineiro the finest of margins to send them into the quarterfinals for a big tie against Palmeiras, which is going to be a real test for, for both sides. Hulk is in great form right now, Mike, and a lot of clamour for him to go to the World Cup. Do you, do you think there's there's a an outside chance for, for the big man? Well, it's possible with the um, with the, the um, squad sizes increasing, I guess, um, for the World Cup now, and he's definitely a um, a different um, option up front to uh, what well to what most uh, what most countries can offer, isn't it? Really, he's um, he's a, a unique player um, and just keeps going. Well, they seem to be uh, I mean, go from the spot and. He's he's a handful for them. I mean, um, it's, uh, it was entertaining watching the uh, Emelec goalkeeper um, every time he was called into action, screaming at his defenders as if he was um, surprised that um, Atletico Mineiro were getting these chances. Uh, he didn't seem too happy to be called into action. It was uh, it was quite entertaining to watch that. Yeah, definitely. And, and do you think that Mineiro are? potential winners against Palmeiras. I mean, they've. it feels like they've had a much trickier route to the quarterfinals than both Palmeiras and Flamengo. But I don't know whether that's just them being slightly under par or um, the, the quality of opposition they've come up against. Do you think they're, this is the a potential stumbling block for, for a Palmeiras side that, as we discussed, haven't necessarily had the, the hardest route so far? Yeah, I think... <laughs> I think they're a really hard one to tell from the perspective of someone who doesn't watch Brazilian football every week. Um, catching some of the um, some of the domestic football, um, like just off and on, they're still. They're, I mean, they're still scoring. They're still scoring goals there. They're they're up in third at the moment. I think um, um, in the table. They're, I mean, and they're going along quite well. And but then when you watch them more regularly. <laughs> Um, in the Libertadores, yeah, they're not. They don't seem to be just um, getting in charge of games, controlling it, and showing that they are by far the better team that they can be um, in a lot of these games. And I think, I think that it makes them really hard to call. I think you're always expecting that little bit extra. Um, and even coming up against Palmeiras, uh, who have been in such fine form, and it'd be easy to suggest, oh well, then Palmeiras, uh, that would be—you can't imagine them being um, controlled by a side that couldn't quite get past um, other teams and have edged past other teams. But with the way they're playing, um, um, Atletico Mineiro, you just seem to think, oh well, when they do come up against that big side, they could probably you know, raise that game that little bit more, and maybe that's that's what they're waiting for. Um, I mean, I don't know about you, Tom. How much you how much you've seen of them this year, and whether you think that that's something that they could they could likely do. Oh, I mean, I definitely think that they're they're capable of of raising it, and they've got the players in their squad to to yeah to to really challenge Palmeiras. We've obviously seen in the league last year they were able to and and I think but for, for me just they seem less of a cup team than they have been um, in in the previous year so I feel like yeah I feel like they've regressed a bit in terms of their effectiveness in this tournament but 
it, again like the, like the um the other all brazilian tie it's it's going to be a really really interesting match up and and one that you could potentially see um you know i think if, if anyone's going to stop this brazilian uh, two that are the, the obvious favorites it's it's probably going to be a, another brazilian team given just their dominance in the tournament at the moment and at the moment yeah it, it definitely looks like the smart money is on, is on a brazilian champ even you know one of those four feels like a very good bet but flying the flag for argentina um and probably their best outside chance of upsetting the apple cart is estudiantes who got past fortaleza 4-1 on aggregate one all draw initially in brazil silvio romero opening the scoring for the brazilians with quite a fortunate deflection um but Estudiantes hit back pretty quickly through Leandro Diaz, who'd only been on the pitch for a couple of minutes. And then in the second leg, a pretty comprehensive 3-0 win in La Plata. Definitely helped by an early red card for Iago Pikachu, the the marvellously named footballer, and a pretty good footballer as well, who looks like he's off to Japan uh, now, actually. So, yeah, another person leaving, maybe not in the circumstances that they would have liked. But two great uh, headers from Manuel Castro um, and uh, a nice finish at the end as well from Zapiola. Um, so, Michael, come back to you. Um, Estudiantes, do you think there's a chance that, I mean, they've got a very favourable side of the draw. Do you think there's a chance that they could could maybe build up a head of steam and, and upset the Brazilians? Yeah, I, do. I, I think what's really exciting about their opportunities against whoever they come up against is just the how well they um they do in transition they, i think all three of those goals in the last game was all from um an interception and within within less than sort of five seconds the ball's in the back of that um they can defend well they defend deep um and they seem to be very very well organized um about how they're Going about what they're what they've been set out to do, and to to attack sides, no matter the quality of some of these Brazilian sides that may be in there, if you, if if you can counter attack that quickly um, and catch a defence off guard, then they've definitely uh, definitely in with a chance of um, with a chance of competing with anyone, I think. Um, but they would obviously be going in as underdogs, but using that yeah using that style of play seems to really be benefiting how. Um, how they're able to compete in this tournament, especially. Yeah, I think they they quite like that underdog tag, and especially when presuming they they get through to to the to the semi-finals, which they they back themselves to do. Then then they certainly think, you know, what we can we've got the tools in in our armory here to to hurt one of the big Brazilian favourites. So so good on set pieces as well, and and what's great about them is, you know. Every everywhere around the pitch can just chip in with goals. You know, Rogel has been in great form. Again, he even popped up with a with an assist for for one of Castro's goals that you wouldn't have expected. And and players like Mass and Godoy will get forward and, and help out as well. So yeah, very uh, very interesting to see how they do. And Zielinski's got them. You know, I think perfect sort of cup team that can really hurt uh, hurt you on the break. And and as you said in transition. Um, and they will be uh, they will be meeting Atletico Paranaense in the next round after the Brazilians saw off Libertad three two on aggregate 
first leg, it was a 2-1 win for Atletico. Notable for the young goal scorer, Vitor Roque, 17 years old, just six minutes into his Libertadores debut, lashed home a, a goal. Um, Bichalba equalised, um, but a, a nice little set-piece routine um, caught Libertad, Libertad out and Hernandez just about turned it in. Um, but still to play for in that second leg and it was another tight game, this time ending 1-1 and enough to send Atletico through. And it was a different Roque this time. Santa Cruz, uh, the other end of his career, scored an absolute golasso, slaloming very slowly, but slaloming nonetheless all the way through the defence. And then it was a late goal from another uh, Atletico Paranaense youngster, Romulo, who'd, who'd actually come on for Vitor Roque. Um, and has been very good in the state leagues earlier in the year, who who got a goal right at the death to ensure that uh, Paranaense didn't need extra time to go through. I mean, Simon, it's an absolute golden opportunity for one of Atletico and Estudiantes to be in the semi-finals of the Libertadores. Do you think Atletico can can beat Estudiantes and, and make a surprise semi-final appearance? I definitely think they can. Um, I, I thought Estudiantes were quite impressive and quite dominant in a way that uh, Paranaense weren't uh, really in this game. Uh, obviously, that you know they've got the result in the end and that's great, but I thought Libertad were, for large spells, the better team in this one. <laughs> that Roque Santa Cruz goal. Um, I don't want to be that guy, right? But how has a <laughs> Roque Santa Cruz had about eight touches <laughs> in the penalty box <laughs> with about six defenders around him. Um, you know, fair play, fair play. I mean, I'm, great goal, but, you know, where is the defence? Um, but that said, um, yeah, I, I think I, I would go for Estudiantes, but obviously, you know, Atletico Paranaense is a good side. We've seen them do well in cup competitions in recent years, Continental Cup competitions. Um, they've got a decent squad, some good youngsters. So I think it's, yeah, as you say, a good opportunity for both teams. Uh, I would probably lead towards Estudiantes, um, but I think it's it's a close, definitely a close game. Yeah, I, I feel like I've written off Atletico Pananense too many times before and, I, and I'm, I'm worried now. I just feel like it's right up their street to cause an upset and get through against Estudiante so I'm I'm sitting firmly on the fence but I I must say I do feel like it's a bit more of a dynamic Atletico side than we've seen in the past we mentioned some of those youngsters Vitor Roque really I think we need to do you know give him some credit because the, aside from that goal he was also really impressive in in both these games I felt you know not afraid to get his shot away there was also a moment in the second leg where he robbed the ball on the halfway line muscled past another defender and had the pace to, to get through and have a crack crack on goal from 25 yards out. Really looks um, like a fearless player and, and, and a great signing from Cruzeiro. Someone who I think we could see a lot more of in, in years to come. But just generally across the board, you know, they've got uh, Canobio in, the Uruguayan, who's who's a very hard-working, dynamic player as well. Abner's a really fantastic fullback prospect. You know the fact they've got Romulo as well, who's who's doing well, and and players like Christian David Terans is is always good at this level as well. I, f- I feel like there's a bit more about them than certainly the side that won the Sudamericana, and and with Big Phil Scolari in charge, you never know, you never know. So I'm as much as I like Estudiantes a lot, I'm definitely not writing off Atletico just yet. Um, 
So let's get on to the last remaining Libertadores game. And it's a, it's another all-Argentinian clash between Tajeres and Colón. And it was Tajeres who ran out winners 3-1 on aggregate to get through to the quarterfinals for the first time in their history. First leg in Cordoba, 1-1. Abila with a lovely header from a dinked Puga Rodriguez free kick. Um, an immediate impact from from him coming off the bench to to get that assist. But it was a late equaliser from Ecuadorian Alan Franco heading in at the back post that kept it all square. And then in the second leg, an impressive 2-0 win away for Tajeres. Girotti, um, a, a player who I'm sure River fans will be grieved that they let go of uh, scoring early in the second half. And then Martino finishing it off in injury time when Colón were pushing for the equaliser. And again, it's that same theme, Portuguese manager in charge. That's three out of the eight teams are managed by a, uh, a Portuguese coach in the in the quarterfinals there. Um, and yeah, perhaps not an unsurprising unsus- uns- uh, result as Cologne have been in pretty poor form and have just seen their team absolutely gutted um, in the last transfer window. Aliendro going to River, Beltran being recalled. Uh, Burian, the goalkeeper, going to Velez. Um, but still, there wasn't too much between these two sides um, and it, w- it was still tight. Um, I don't know if either of you have got anything to say about um, Tajeres or, or Colón here. Do you, Mike, let's have a quick prediction against for them against Velez. Um, I, think, I think Velez will be relatively confident um, going into it. I think that um, Tayeres have been in good form in the Libertadores, but that's very much not the case um, back at home. So I think that will probably uh, encourage Velez a bit more. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd probably edge um, Velez out of the two. I think they've just got a bit more about them. But like the Estudiantes Atletico semi, it's it's a huge opportunity for either one of them to get to the semis and, and it's definitely a tough one to call. Obviously, the winner of that um, Tajeres Velez game would most likely f- uh, face up against Flamengo, which which could be a, t- a bridge too far for either of them. But never say never. Um, and before we finish today's podcast, we should have a look at the Sudamericana results as well, also at the round of sixteen. Um, so I'll, I'll get through these. Nacional of Uruguay beat Union home and away to win four one on aggregate, and they'll play Atlético Goianense in the quarterfinals. Um, after the Brazilians beat Olimpia of Paraguay on penalties after a two two draw on aggregate, Internacional turned around a first leg deficit to edge Colo Colo four three on aggregate. And they're going to be facing Melgar in the next round after the Peruvians beat Deportivo Cali 2 on Agra. More on that in a moment. Sierra got through after beating the strongest 5-1 on Agra and setting up an all-Brazilian clash against a big favourite, Sao Paulo, who dispatched Universidad Católica of Chile, a whopping 8-3 on aggregate. And in a rare non-Brazilian victory, Deportivo Táchira edged past Santos on penalties after a 2-2 draw in aggregate. And will play another non-Brazilian in the form of Independiente del Valle of Ecuador, who beat Lanús 2-1 on aggregate. So, Mike, go on. It's your chance to wax lyrical about Melgar. <laughs> tell me tell me how they did it. Oh, they've um, been absolutely incredible um, uh, this, uh, this season, especially. Uh, they've just... Um, uh, won the uh, Apertura uh, in Peru um, and received possibly one of the most embarrassing trophies uh, 
that has ever been issued. So if anyone hasn't seen that, go and have a look. We had pieces missing. Oh, it, it's, it's pretty embarrassing. Um, but uh, they've gone into this uh, into the Sudamericana and they've they've played exactly as they like to play uh, in Peru, and they've been able to do it against a much better opposition than they play week in week out. Um, the uh, the way uh, it could have gone um, differently. I mean, I think it was um, Simon might be able to correct me. I think it was Velasco, um, the left winger, got a. Um, quick break early on in the game um, and uh, Caseda made a great one-on-one save um, which was vital really and Bernie Cuesta uh, once again was the uh, once the was the hero it's something that not a lot of uh, Peruvian sides can um, uh, can say they've got is a, a number nine that they can rely on and uh, Cuesta's been incredible and the young players who come through it was once again um uh, quite a young side, um, a number of number of players who are going to be fighting for um, Peruvian uh, national team positions um, coming up into the next cycle. Now that obviously, unfortunately, won't be going to Russia. Um, the likes of uh, left back Paolo Arena, then a Moistier at centre back. Um, Kevin Cavedo has been um, playing quite well since his disappointing spell in Brazil. Uh, um, Iberico, um, sort of left wing, sort of forward, um, been getting some interest from Mexico apparently. Um, but it's a young side, and they've placed, they've been playing incredibly well together. Um, and this was Nestor Lorenzo's final game, and it was a great way to go out um, to to be able to take the side into that next round and I believe it's Pablo um, uh, Lavallen um, is going to be taking over and wants to continue on what's been done with this club and the fact that young players are coming through so regularly um, and just stepping into the first team shows that things are actually being operated very well at club level rather than just uh, first team level um, so it'll be interesting to see how well we can get on in the next round Um and we'll see sort of what differences do come up with that new manager. And I think it's just, it was just um, a great way for Nestor Lorenzo to sign off and be interested to see uh, how excited uh, Simon is for him to be taking over as the uh, Colombian manager. Obviously we'll, uh, from the good work he's done in Peru, we'll wish him luck, but probably not, just not too much luck. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, obviously I think a big part of the reason he was appointed is for his, work under Peckerman um, previously, um, Colombia kind of going back to try to recapture some of the the successes of the Peckerman reign. And uh, obviously Lorenzo was linked to that, but, you know, obviously I think this first team experience with, uh, with Melgar and the impressive import performances definitely gave a little boost to his CV that probably helped get him over the line in terms of getting the Colombia job. Um, Deportivo Cali, look, that, I mean, they, they were the second best in this game. Um, I think there was a touch of fortune for the Melgar goals. Um, you know, I think it was a handball, but it's one of those ones where the player slides to try and block the cross. His hand isn't particularly an unnatural position, but you know, it's it's very hard to, to for the ball to touch any part of your arm and it not be a penalty nowadays. So I understand why it was. 
Um, so I think, and then obviously the second goal as well came from a kind of a, a tackle that broke through for, for Melgar to kind of set up a, a quick counter-attack. So it was a touch of fortune, but I think they deserved the win and, and the, the Cali goal came so late that it it was never really in doubt after that second goal for Melgar. Um, for Cali, <laughs> it's a weird one because, you know, getting eliminated from the Libertadores and then getting knocked out in the Sudamericana sounds like a bad season, but <laughs> just look at their league form where they finished 18th behind all the teams in Colombia with animal names. Um, it's never a good sign. Uh, so definitely back to the drawing board. Uh, the continental performances were were saving Cali somewhat, um, but this is a kind of a reality uh, really hitting them in the face and then we'll have to see where they go from here. They've got a good squad, they've got good players. Um, but it's been a disastrous 2020 uh, with the occasional incredibly high point. Um, so a, a weird one for Cali, but uh, they'll hope to get back to come, some more consistent form in the league and build themselves back up. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how uh, how Lorenzo does at Colombia. Um, he'll know some of the players, some of the older players. So it'll be interesting to see how much he wants to shake up. Uh, or if he wants to, you know, rely on the guys that he knows well—the Hammers, the Cuadrados, Falcao—I think is probably too old now. But Ospina, you know, does, does does he stick with the guys he knows, or will he look to bring in the youngsters from day one? So, listening to what he's done with Melgar, it sounds as though um, he may turn to youth. But it will be interesting to see what happens, you know, uh, moving forward. Whether he wants to build on what he did with uh, Beckerman, or if he wants to kind of set out his own stall and 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 build his own identity with the side. Yeah, definitely going to be interesting to see how both Melgar and Colombia get on. And, and Simon, no Colombians in the quarterfinals of either continental competition. What does that say about the the sort of state of football and, and what's the mood like in the country regarding sort of domestic football? Yeah, I mean, top of that, no World Cup. Uh, Colombia has just launched their their new kit, um, which is a bit awkward. <laughs> I mean, fortunately, it's just a yellow T-shirt. So I don't think much has gone into it, to be honest. Um, yellow T-shirt with an Adidas sign. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Colombia's hoping women's football is, is going to give them some some boost at the moment. Um, look, Colombian football is still exporting a lot of good players, producing a lot of good players. Some of the best players in Europe are Colombian. Luis Diaz is doing well at Liverpool. Sinisteras off to lead to have a great season. You know, there's lots of broad reasons to think that Colombia is capable of producing top players who can make an impact on these kind of competitions. But the issue is that they don't. Um, and there's, you know, I think there's always that sense that we're Colombia, we'll overcome the Paraguays, the Perus, you know, we'll overcome our rivals because we've got good players and we play good football. But you know, there's also that 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 nagging sense of in the big games, Colombian teams just don't pull it together. They, they lose their heads. They don't focus. They don't have that jerarquia, that 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 ability to overcome. Um, whereas I think as well, you know, it's more of an issue of tactics. There's there's not really any Colombian managers of note in the world. Um, Uruguay is is one big city, and they there's many more Uruguayan coaches doing well abroad than Colombians. Uh, and I think that is probably the root cause. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll turn on the TV and everyone will be talking about putting more eggs, poniendo más huevos and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's a complicated issue, a complicated problem that I think is institutional. I think comes down to coaching, identity, 
comes down to a lot of big, big issues that will take a decade to truly resolve and allow Colombia to play at its top, uh, top, top level. But in the meantime, we'll just complain about, you know, not showing enough balls or running around enough or getting the ball to the number 10 quickly enough. So, yeah, fr- huge, huge frustration with Colombian football. The The ceiling is sky high. Colombia could be uh, Argentina level in terms of talent production, in terms of the potential. Um, but Argentina has coaches and ideas and Colombia doesn't. So I think that's the big difference right now. Well, good thing that you are there to shake things up, Simon, and impart some of your, your wisdom. And, and the only way is up. So that's let's look at it that way. Um, Mike, any other teams um, in the Sudamericana that are jumping out to you? I think I'm mostly uh, mostly looking forward to this international game um, to see to see what 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 side's going to come out. Obviously, like you say, Colo Colo got the win in the first leg, and but international really turned it on and uh, overturned overturned the deficit to go through. And be interesting to see how um, how they compete. IDV as well getting through um, over Lanus. Um, could be an interesting one, um, especially in this competition. So, obviously, it'd be nice to um, to see Melgar progress and um, maybe have a uh, another country um, bring home the uh, title towards the end. But it does seem quite hard to look past sort of Sao Paulo, doesn't it? Yeah, they're looking very strong. But you know, we've we saw Tachira get past Santos, and uh, so maybe there's a bit of hope that some of these Brazilians can start to fall by the wayside. Uh, Simon, any any thoughts about the the neighbours there in in Venezuela and Ecuador? Tachira and IDV give them any chance of of going? Well, obviously one of them's going to get to the next round, but do you think either one could could seriously challenge? Um, well, I think I think it's great for Tachira to get this. To get this uh, to get this far and to, to progress past Santos, a huge bonus will give a lift to Venezuelan football as a whole. Um, these big results, um, there's positive signs. We saw the Tulan tournament, Venezuela get into the final, uh, and some of the players really doing very well, including a member of this current Tachira team, Jerson uh, Chacon, who looks like he might be off to Europe. Talks of Belgium, which would be a really good move for him. So, um, I think there are. There are, you know, Venezuelan football hasn't made the progress that we hoped it would after some great youth performances, but there are still signs there um, that they're producing more and more good players. Um, I also, I really like um, Telasco Segovia, who was the player of the tournament in Toulon, uh, who looks like he's making a big move as well. So um, I think there are some positive signs for Venezuela. Tachida, a great performance to, to get the to get the win. I, obviously, they um, they scored early. Went to VAR was was cleared and then the red card for the for the foul on on Jack on uh, set them up for a really big big win on penalties uh, away in Santos so huge for them uh, in terms of the next round yeah I mean IDV as well I think IDV as well is another side that that has great potential has a great project uh, and perhaps has dropped off a little bit in recent times uh, this could give them some momentum again to that project. Um, they put in the work, they produce good players, they recruit really, really well. So uh, I think for the good of South American football, uh, if IDV are doing well, then I think that that sends a good message across the continent and hopefully um, inspires some of the other sides to, 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 to progress and to build and to, to you know, focus on the project, which I think is so key. And, and that has been what's got IDV to this stage where we're 
kind of disappointed that they're doing well in the Sudamericana rather than the Libertadores. I think that just really shows how, how much, how far they've come. I think that's a good positive note to end it on there. So, um, Simon, where can people find you on, on social media and anything to, to plug? Yeah, so on Twitter, at Simon Edwards SAF, I actually get an email telling me every like once a week or once a month telling me how many new followers I've got and how many followers I've lost. I'm going to end up with minus followers at some point. <laughs> so, so come and follow me. I should probably put some more interesting content up there. But if you want to follow me on Twitter, at Simon Edwards SAF, I'm just, I'm just putting you down to bots. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm definitely losing. I'm hemorrhaging followers. It doesn't matter. It's fine. Anyway, I'm over there if you have any, any questions. <laughs> and, and Mike, where can, can people or, or any bots follow you on Twitter? Um, yeah, they can uh, they can hunt me down at, at Mike Rice nineteen eighty three uh, on Twitter. So um, yeah, come and uh, come and listen to me uh, going on about Melgar for the next two weeks, probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds good to me. And you can find me on Twitter at TomRob89. Um, not too much to plug at the moment. Um, recent piece on Enzo Fernandez for anyone interested there as well. So. Once again, just a big thanks to both of our guests and all of our listeners. And be sure to follow the World Football Index on social media for all the latest. So that's all that's left for me to say. Thank you and goodbye.